Hey guys, this is The Beast with RexandTheBeast.com, and I want to let you know what's getting ready to happen. Rex and I were thrilled to line up an interview with Stephen Goodwin, the former CEO of the late great Hard Rock Park in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But on the day of the interview, I ran into some work issues that was going to prevent me from being a part of the podcast. So Rex started the podcast, and he announced that I would not be a part of the interview. But then, as things turned out, I was able to get to a computer and participate. So you're going to hear me come in a few minutes into the podcast, even though Rex said I wasn't going to be there. We just wanted to clear up that confusion before we started the show. This is a great interview and a great opportunity to learn more about this great park of old. So sit back and enjoy. Here we go. in snowy Denver, Colorado in April. It's uh, crazy weather out here. Just got through 25 inches of snow the last 48 hours, if you can believe that. And unfortunately, the beast is not with me today uh, due to some personal issues, but we have a real treat for you here on Audio Journeys. Those of you that listen to our podcast on Friday, we spoke about our uh, trip to Hard Rock Park for Soundcheck and the first rider auction of Led Zeppelin The Ride and the great time that we had at that uh, event. And we are going to get some firsthand information on the park, on the, the experiences surrounding the park uh, from Stephen Goodwin, the uh, CEO uh, of Hard Rock Park back in the day. And um, we're pretty excited about it. So, Stephen, welcome to Audio Journeys. Thank you, Rex. It's good to, good to talk to you after so long. Yeah, it, it has. And um, as we talked about on Friday, you know, it was sort of a, um, a last-minute thing, as I recall. I recall the auction coming up pretty quickly um, before, uh, before April 15th, and uh, the Beast and I jumped on it pretty quickly so that we could, uh, we could be there. And we were pretty excited because uh, the, the Beast and I actually uh, were in a hard rock band. We talked about that on Soundcheck Day, as you may or may not remember. But the Beast is quite a musician. I'm much less so, but uh, he um, he is a guitarist and a drummer and uh, has, has actually um, been – uh, fairly successful in in those endeavors, so we were really excited about the the theming, the concept, the idea of having uh, the the various lands based around uh, music, and of course Led Zeppelin, uh, uh, the ride, the coaster that we got to ride there on Soundcheck. Uh, but before we get into specifics um, on that, Stephen, I I just I would love to just get a little background from you on how the idea of the the developing the concept of Hard Rock Park came about, and I, I know that uh, uh, John uh, Bukowski was obviously a very important part of that, um, and and you and and others of, of course as well. But I'd love to get a little background from you and some thoughts on how that came about and uh, how exciting I'm sure that must have been putting together the concept, um, for a park in, in Myrtle beach. What led to the idea of uh, a park in, in the Myrtle beach area? Um, desperation, I think was really the driving force there. You, you may not remember John Binkowski owned the, uh, 
Ice Castle Theater, um, which in its heyday had, uh, you know, good, good ice show in there, which we repurposed and used in the park as well for our um, Country on the Rocks ice show. Right, right. It was but, actually in the park, right? That came, that right. was inside, right. Mm-hmm. But originally that whole area had been, was going to be uh, a new uh, theater destination, and, and I guess it had failed, and, and through various landowners, uh, John had, had got involved with the theater and got together with his his neighbors and, and decided to try to do something to resuscitate the, the land value and, and kind of carry off the original Fantasy Harbor theme, which we'd seen uh, pictures had shown, you know, they planned for a, a small amusement park, say, around that time. And, you know, we got into it and when we started digging into it and, and honestly, you know, we, we never set out to create Hard Rock Park. We just created, wanted to create an amusement park, something bigger than the, the, the pavilion. But as we got in and started talking to people in the industry and seeing what the opportunity would look like, it became pretty obvious to us that there was potential to do something bigger. But to do something bigger, you really had to have a brand name on it. And, um, you know, we, we spent some time scratching our heads and drinking a lot of coffee. And um, we were actually discussing with one of the Hollywood studios to do a, a movie park because, you know, there's not enough movie parks in the world. And kind of in the middle of all of that, um, John Binkowski, you know, called me up and said, you know, hey, you remember when you were at Hard Rock? What about doing a Hard Rock park? And I said, um, I, yeah, why not? And uh, we, we floated the idea, uh, and they said, well, let us think about it. So we kind of thought, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, and we were actually out in Los Angeles pitching to the Hollywood studio at the time. Uh, you know, all of our brilliant creative that John and his team had worked up, and uh, we got a call from Hard Rock saying they were actually interested and wanted to know if we could be in – I think on the Friday, which was like three days away uh, and, and show them what we were thinking. And we panicked <laughs> and <laughs> we're like, we haven't done any creative. What are we going to do? Uh, so John and I actually went to the Kinko's in West Hollywood, um, copied the you know board that we had for the Hollywood park uh, and started just creating cool sounding rock and roll rides uh, and shows um, and and taping them on and making it look like a, a rock and roll theme park. Uh, so we had something to, to present that would at least convey the flavor of, you know, what we were trying to, trying to achieve. So it really was, I think we spent about three or four hours in, in Kinko's um, bugging all the people around us with crazy ideas and, um, they're like, yeah, whatever, dude, go away. And we're like, what do you think of this Beatles ride? And um, you know, Led Zeppelin were pretty much there from right from that first meeting. We were pretty insistent that that would be the name of the the roller coaster. So, you know, I think we were amazed that we actually pulled that off all the way through. 
So once you got that information together from uh, running the Kinkos and got back with uh, the Hard Rock people, how, how was that received as far as the ideas that you were uh, putting together on the run? Did that come together in a pretty positive way? Yeah, it did. Um, it, it was a it was a good presentation. You know, we we talked about the market a, a little bit. We talked about you know opportunities for hotels, uh, but really, I think you know people just liked the idea of doing a quality rock and roll based theme park or adventure park as people call them i guess and you know the key question which i think you touched on though was you know can you get the bands can you get the the rights to the to the songs and and the artists are they gonna gonna support it i think hard rock was enthusiastic subject to understanding whether we could pull it off how did the licensing work on that? Was did you did you go through a licensing agency with like ASCAP, BMI, or is this something you had to do with individual artists uh, in in getting these rights? Yeah, it was it was individual. I mean, we, we had ASCAP, BMI licenses for the park, and they have theme park licenses. But that just lets you play the music in the in the general areas. But if you want to synchronize music. And obviously, you want to get into merchandise uh, of bands' names and rights and things like that. You've got to deal with the band, uh, the band manager, and, and uh, we we got very educated on that whole world very quickly. Um, but yeah, really, and it's a it's a complicated world too, isn't it? Oh, it's phenomenally complicated. But one of the one of the lessons we learned early on was, uh, you know, some of the some of the bands that have been around a long time. You know, if one or two of the uh, the band members had, had passed away, you know, their estate was usually looked after by an attorney or, you know, accountant or family friend or whatever. And, and actually, it, it meant that they were very organized. Um, you know, they would have band meetings. They'd have, you know, discussions about what they want to do. And you kind of know who to go to and, and, and get things resolved. Um other bands, you know, there's still a little bit of infighting. Some bands, you're never quite sure who you're dealing with, you know, who who's speaking for the band, which band member's taking the lead. Uh, you know, we, we we didn't talk to, you know, a lot of people, but there were definitely conversations that didn't go anywhere. Um, but we were just really excited that through a couple of contacts that we had that we got, you know, in, in, in uh, touch and had a meeting in London uh, with Led Zeppelin's management and it just went really well and, and it wasn't easy but it but it came together yeah so we have to ask you that one of these fact or fiction things you know there's all kinds of information floating out there blogs and whatnot and one of the pieces that's going around that is just so fascinating is that zeppelin said listen okay you can use our song on the ride but you can't break it up you have to use it it in its entirety which means that the song started when they were in the the queue watching a safety video or whatever then you went on the actual track attraction the song was continuing so that the entire song what was it rex whole lot of love yeah a whole lot of right? love right so, so that the whole song could be played is that fact or fiction did that actually happen it did it did um I, let me let me take you back to the kind of start of those discussions because John and I were pretty lucky to you know actually get to meet with Robert Plant and, and Jimmy Page in London. Wow. You know we flew in and 
It will. And it took a long time because this is going back 2002, 2003. They weren't really talking to each other at that time. Uh, you know, they've got a long history together, and, and I guess they go quite a period where they, they don't tend to chat, and then, you know, they, they get together, and this was going to be the first meeting in, I think, five years, uh, and it was for us. So we were pretty <laughs> pretty scared by that, and um, managers told us they weren't even sure that they'd turn up. Um, and, you know, you're, you're dealing with rock stars. They, they, yeah. they, they do what they want to do. Uh, we were pretty excited about an hour after the meeting time had start, you know, it had come and gone and we'd drunk lots of tea and um, downed a few Diet Cokes and we're sitting nervously in the office waiting to know what's going to happen. They both turned up and, and they were just real gentlemen, both very, very nice. Um, and, you know, we originally went into pitch for Stairway to Heaven. That was the the song that had you know come into our heads. It would be the first um, name on the roller coaster, really, that we wanted wanted to do. And, and I'll save you the about eighteen months of discussions between us and and principally Jimmy Page, because Jimmy took on the the role of producer for the band and figuring out what. But he said in the very first meeting that he thought Whole Lot of Love would be the better um, ride given its you know, music profile. Yeah. And, you know, we, we went backwards and forwards and we did some mock-ups and we did some uh, synchronizing to video and, and um, uh, created something for them to, to kind of visualize how it would all work. And Jimmy loved, he loved pretty much all of the, the, the various options, but he really liked a whole lot of love, but he was absolutely insistent that the fans would want to hear the whole song and that we should go away and rework our concept um, so that you would get the whole song. Because you, you no doubt had it, the ride starts when the song starts. That's probably what you, how you had it worked up, right? We, we, had, it, we had it pretty much time to um, go from when you got on the roller coaster to go up yeah. uh, so that you hit way down deep inside at the top of the at the top of the lift as you come over the top. We pretty much had that. We worked around that moment mostly. Hmm. Um, Cause that just seemed, that just seemed to jump out at as, as you know, you got Robert you know, screaming as you go down. Um, it just, it just was right. I mean, it just right. felt like yep. that, that was a brilliant sync moment that you wanted to capture on the, on the ride. So we try to work around that. And yeah, so then we had to work back because that, you know, I think it's like an eight minute 30 song <laughs> and uh, depending on which version you use and, and, and that comes about five and a half, six minutes into the song, maybe even longer than that. I forget the timings, but yeah, it was, you know, so we had to go away and, and figure out how we were going to give, you know, guests the, the whole song, but also be able to get guests through yeah. You know, to see the, in the in the capacity we would need, you know, to hit our numbers in the in the park. Sure, but he he couched it in the language of from the fans' perspective. I think the fans are going to want to hear the whole song. That's that's that was his approach to why he wanted the whole thing right. played. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's interesting. I mean, that is really interesting. Um, and and I got to say, I, you know, as obviously as classic a song as uh, "Stairway to Heaven" is. 
I, I sort of ultimately end up especially getting the opportunity to write it with whole lot of love. I mean, I think whole lot of love really works uh, for the for the for the track. Uh, it, it is it is a driving song, and and it works really really well. Uh, and I, I certainly see why he he would have supported that idea of going there. But but it did make for an interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit on Friday. It, it did make for an interesting uh, cue because. Uh, you, you go through the queue, and then then you're sort of held uh, in a in a you know for the the sort of documentary by the band uh, video is the whole lot of love is playing, and then you're you're pushed you know you're pushed out right into the ride, and it goes. Uh, it, it was different, you know. It was certainly different. Yeah, and, and you know I think John and the team did a really good job of, of enveloping people in the experience all the way through, and you know building in. Uh, extra sync so that you know if the ride issues you you wouldn't really notice the 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 beat change you know and then switches from the audio in the ride building to onboard audio you know there was a there was an awful lot um that we had to get right the first time there that you know that not the rest of the industry had really done to that level at that mm-hmm. time um you know you you had a Aerosmith ride with with the music but it was fairly underwhelming in its experience and we just wanted something you know we were we were hard rock we were representing led zeppelin we we, the production level on this had to be better than anything out there and i think the guys did a a fantastic job of pulling that off all the way through i mean just you know i still remember going around the loops at the end you know and and just hearing a lot of love you know it's just what an experience now you're going to visit Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, in England, you're doing all of these things. You've got hard rock on board and, and all of this. At this point, I mean, have you, have you pretty much got your, your funding in line? I mean, are you guys in, in – are you, are you in business now on that? Uh, oh, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, – you know, we, we, we had some committed local investors who, who own the property and, and were putting together money to, to get us a – you know, along the road, pretty much a shoestring operation. I think, you know, at the end of the day, Universal or Disney probably spend more on their very first schematic design for any of their rides than we spent on the entire park's yeah. original design. You know, we were we were definitely bootstrapping it. Um, and we were out there, you know, looking. Um, one day I'm going to write a book because I could fill a book just on on finding the money for a theme park, um, and it was hard. I mean, it was it was really hard. I, I'd sum, summarize it as you know, most people we spoke to, in the first of all, we spoke to a lot of people in the in the theme park industry, and no one wanted to build a new park because they're all scared of construction. Um, the that you know, they're all like, we'll operate it when you you know get up and running. Right. And and then we went to the private equity investment groups and, and, and they were all, well, we're a little nervous about construction, you know, um, you get it running, you know, we'll open, we'll buy it, we'll do all of these things. You know, we understand operations, we don't understand construction. We're like, but construction is the easy part. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we, we managed to, through various connections, find, you know, some, some investors largely out of New York um, and Israel who you could see the potential of it and, and, and wanted to get involved. Um, but, yeah, it was, that was 
that did not come together until pretty much close to the end of two, I guess, 2005. Um, and we, we had a lot of false starts for a variety of reasons. People would commit and then back away. And, uh, you know, I always felt like I was trying to plug a hole in the, uh, in the capital structure to, to get the money together. And, and really once we got enough together, we figured we had, uh, two routes to go to fill out the rest of it. And one was, you know, the kind of more conventional, very large bank loan or the even more crazy outlandish idea was to float bonds um, in the bond market, which no one had ever done before. And, uh, you know, we presented it to our owners group with pros and cons of both of those strategies. Um, and it was decided we'd go the, the, the bond route. And um, that was that, that that was a roller coaster in itself. I mean, oh, yeah. it was it was crazy, but, uh, you know, we pulled it off. Um, I think people liked the concept. I think the Led Zeppelin video that, you know, we'd worked on for Jimmy Page, you know, got shown to just about every potential investor and they, and they just, they felt it. I mean, they felt that moment and could see, you know, what it would do if, if, if it was built. Um, and, you know, by then we'd rounded out a lot of the rest of the intellectual properties and, and band relationships, um, although I will tell you at that point, even right before we're about to get the bonds issued and, and take down, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, we still didn't have Led Zeppelin signed up to an agreement. Uh, so we were, I mean, it had been discussed, uh, you know, everything was, everything was done, but, um, you know, we were kind of getting nervous because it wouldn't have been the first time that, you know, they'd done a 180 degree, you know, um, switch on us and you know they just decide they're rock stars they want yeah, to do it exactly. Right? Right, not exactly. other day but but you know i think it was like a week before we had to finalize it you know i, I get a message saying that uh robert plant who we were waiting on at that point had, had had swung by the manager's office signed the uh license agreement on the on the hood of his you know convertible and jetted off down the street and uh, we're like thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah, um, but of course, you're telling the investors, oh, yeah, Led Zeppelin's on board, right? <laughs> yeah, I like tell you, the, you know, the lawyers, you know, you, the documents involved with, with raising this amount of money are pretty complicated. And, um, you know, the, the lawyers disclose everything. So, you know, everyone knows that we're waiting on this signature. And uh, there's not a lot you can do in that situation. You, you know, you. You can't just pull up and say, hey, guys, you know, remember that conversation? Hey, we really need to sign. <laughs> so, but we, the manager, the management team in London worked really hard and, and we got it. And, and that was that was actually almost as big a relief as getting the uh, the bonds uh, floated in, in a way. Yeah, when you're doing a few hundred million dollar bond offering, you have a pretty uh, pretty nice little set of risk factors in that document, right? So, um, well... Yeah. Thankfully, we had a lot of risk back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, I remember those days. So coming up to uh, to the sound check in the opening day, feel a pretty good uh, a pretty good sense of uh, uh, of excitement at that point. Uh, I felt. I mean, I saw it in you there. I mean, that you you may you you sort of had. Uh, I assume this dream you've been living with at that point for what uh, six years longer was it about that. 
we we started in well John started in the summer of 2001 I got involved like a weeks after 9-11 which is about the worst time to go out and try and raise money um so we've been going six to seven years at that point right so um i mean did you feel at that point i mean you still feel did you feel good i mean were you happy with what you were opening as far as the park there on um on opening day at the beginning was it was it what you expected and what you hoped for at that point let me answer that in two parts um from the from a physical park offering um including you know food and beverage merchandise just the just the look and feel of the park yeah I, I i thought the entire team did a phenomenal job delivering a really high quality experience on you know the kind of budget that probably doesn't even pay lunch for disney's crew <laughs> it it was it, it, you know it was complete it was layered it had details it had things you know we 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 had people that would stay 10 hours in the park hunting down everything. And, and, and the average stay for people in the park was like seven or eight hours, which blew us away. I mean, people loved it. People wanted to eat in every restaurant. They wanted to do every ride. They wanted to see every show. Um, you know, so for the budget that we had and the park, you know, product that we created at the end. Yeah. I think we I think we we're all very happy. Now that doesn't mean we, um, there are things we wouldn't do differently. Um, you know, hindsight's great. Um, but I also, you know, opening the park was a little bit of a, um, a challenge because for those of us, you know, with our world or ahead in the, in the finance markets, we, we kind of knew what was coming, um, with the, with the economy. I mean, our, you know, our bankers um, were telling us, you know, the bank market had been frozen at that point when we opened the park about six, seven months. Um, and we still, you know, had uh, a small credit facility that we needed to, to take down, which was principally going to be used for our pre-opening marketing. And, you know, whereas two years ago we could have taken any money we wanted from anybody, you know, as we did with the bond deal by early 2008. I mean, no deal. There was no money on the table anywhere. Um, it was already starting to to get pretty obvious to us that something big was coming. Were you put into sort of scramble mode fairly quickly to to see you know what the options were? Um, how, how did how did that uh, how did that hit you as you went into operations? No, we we actually had a plan. Um, we kind of knew what we were going to be challenged with uh we we know where we've done our marketing and we know where we didn't have the money to do our marketing um and and we were tracking that i mean we we knew you know what visitors were coming into town we knew what whether they'd seen our ads uh so we could see what penetration we were getting from people where we we placed ads whether that was out of market ads or in market or whatever uh and you know the good news was our penetration in in to the markets that we put dollars was actually very high, um, way, way exceeded our expectations. Our problem was we didn't have enough marketing in other markets, uh, both directly, i.e., you know, spend from us and from uh, partners. 
and there, there were some issues with some of our partner deals, which I won't go into now. Um, but it, but it meant our, we knew going in that we were light on our marketing, but there was nothing we could do about it um, for a whole host of extremely complicated bond finance covenant issues. Uh, you know, we basically were frozen. We had no ability, even if we, we did have money from our investors, but we had no way to get it into the park to spend uh, on marketing. So we knew what we were challenged with. So pretty much right from the off, you know, we, our focus was obviously we wanted to open a park. We wanted to, you know, preserve the experience. And we did that and, and made sure that operations wasn't impacted there. But we were, we were pretty much already thinking about year two, um, making sure that we could find a way to you know, get the funding that we had or we thought we could get into the park so that we, you know, get through the, the winter and, and hopefully, you know, there wouldn't be a bad recession and we get into the next um, year. So that, that was really the plan as we went into the summer. 2008 was a year that, that we at Rex and the Beast were doing a ton in the industry and we were traveling a lot and and we sure we hated to see uh, we hated to see what ended up happening and uh, continued to follow it through the rest of that year um, and into the next when um, had the bankruptcy issues had the, the flip over to Freestyle uh, Music Park um, and at that point I think it was fairly clear that it, it was not going to pull out I mean you could try and do something but I mean you lose the hard rock branding you use the real you know excitement and the push that you had and so you know at that point it's it's a real uphill battle to say the least um yeah but- so we 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 actually originally when we um when we filed chapter 11 bankruptcy we did so with the support of all of our bond investors it was it was you know their push was to clean up the the debt structure uh put more money in and relaunch for the second year unfortunately while we were going through that you know discussion what happened lehman brothers filed bankruptcy you know with lehman brothers filing bankruptcy i think they were like 4 days before we were going to do so it just changed the ball game i mean suddenly you know you've got this escalation of of you know, billion dollar fires all the way around the world. I, you know, one of our principal investors also happened to own Chrysler at the time. And so they, they stopped worrying about us, uh, you know, relatively small investment for them and took their team and were really worried about that. I think, you know, $6 billion that they had in Chrysler at the time. And, and that was pretty much the story across the board. Suddenly you go from having a plan to build on what you've done the first year and to recapitalize and come back strong in the second year to, you know, firefighting and everybody's worried about their other investments and their other assets. And, um, you know, at that point it became clear that was, there was one, that the economy was going to have a real big recession. And two, there was going to be no way back for us, given that we just didn't have the funding to, to, to keep going at that point. You know, Stephen, one of the things that I, unfortunately, I wasn't there, I wasn't able to accompany Rex, but one of the things that he was telling me and that I've read online that seems like such a neat part because I love music, I'm a musician, is they talked about the way that from the different lands, the different areas uh, of, you know, that were connected to different bands and different styles of music and whatnot, that the the blending of the music from one area to the next area was just 
perfectly done so that when you wherever you are, you are only hearing music that is specific to that area. There wasn't any bleed over. There wasn't confusion. Right. It wasn't just a big myth. How, I mean, did, how did that come up? Were there specific like engineers, sound people that came in to make that possible? How does something like that happen in the construction of a theme park? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 whole team. Uh, you know, John Binkowski led the the, the group. But, you know, we had people who would just know different genres of music. We had sound uh, engineers, acousticians, uh, you know, a lot of very skilled engineers go area by area determining what the volume is going to be, what the bleed over is going to be. And, you know, even to the point where we were syncing tracks in different areas so that they wouldn't clash. I mean, it was it was a phenomenal effort, but. Yeah, that's a good example of what we thought was the level of detail that you had to pull off because otherwise you would have this mishmash of, of music and sounds. And, and you know, if you're going to put yourself in that environment for one hour or three hours or, you know, ten hours, you know, you, you couldn't do that. We knew, you know, I was previously at Hard Rock and, and ran development there for a couple of years. And we knew when we went from a cafe to a hotel that you didn't want a hotel to be just, you know, full on music the whole time. So we constrained the music to the public spaces and the rest of it, you know, we, we wanted that oasis of calm. The room was an oasis of calm. Um, and, you know, the music by the pool would be there, but it wouldn't be always in your face because you can't live with 12 hours of, you know, clashing rock music. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they did a great job. I mean, even down to the point where, you know, challenge of the, the um, roundabout, you know, calliope music, you know, John had him remaster everything uh, that was going to play in British Invasion in as a as a calliope organ, so that you could uh, you could hear it, but it would be in sync with the rest of the music around around the attraction. I mean, it's a phenomenal amount of work, but it it paid off. Yeah, yeah. Just, just just from a fun standpoint, is there any one memory that just really sticks out to you during those months that where you just saw something or you were a part of something that was while the park was open that just made you think this is why this these six years were worth it for for what I'm looking at right there? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, so many things. I mean, you know, obviously just working with such a team of of, of dedicated people. Uh, who probably would tell you today is still the best job they've ever had and and the most fun they've ever had at work and could hardly believe it was work. But I think if I boiled it down, I'd probably single out day one guy. I think he was he was a show attendant. I think at the um, at the beach show, and he came over to me and he just wanted to let me know that. Uh, he he'd you know been to our training. He'd listened about customer service, and we'd always talked about it doesn't matter whether you're in merchandise or food and beverage or the show or the ride. You know you're there to take care of the customer, and he he just wanted to tell me that he understood it because he mm. was standing at the outside at the exit to the show, and he saw a young girl who was too young to go on uh, Led Zeppelin ride. She just missed it by an inch or two, and she was in tears, and the parents couldn't do anything, and. He left the show and walked over and, you know, explained who he was. He took her to the merchandise store uh, in, in Rock and Roll Heaven, and he, bought, he, he let her pick from all the pins. She, you know, sorry you can't go this time. 
you know, hopefully you come back next year, you'll be tall enough. And he, out of his own pocket, bought her a pen. Mm. And she immediately stopped crying, and she gave him a hug. And he was so excited because he made her day. And to me, that captured what the Hard Rock Park was about. It was just, it didn't matter whether you liked the music or didn't like music. It was just everybody together having fun, and everyone you know, on our side was there to make sure people had a good time. And, you know, that was just, that was just really, it was a great story to hear. Mm-hmm. And there were examples of that every day. I mean, we had one guy, he came down, he had such a fun time. He went away and he bought, I think, 600 tickets and brought his entire company down <laughs> because he was so blown away by the customer service from our, from our staff. I mean, it, too many to mention, but yeah, I mean, now at the end of the day, when you, when you hear stories like that, that, that people feel like they're making a difference in, in people's lives. I think that's it. We can't get off of here without talking a little, uh, just a little bit, uh, Stephen, with what you, you alluded to and mentioned earlier, which is uh, what I believe the general consensus is, as great as Led Zeppelin the ride was, um, the, the, the top attraction, the top ride that you had in the park, uh, which was Knights in White Satin, uh, the trip. And uh, this was... This was quite a, a surprise to me when I was there for sound check on uh, opening day because I, I hadn't read a lot about it, didn't didn't know what to expect, and was really blown away by the detail and the um, in-depth nature of the attraction and the queue as well. Uh, we have a video from that day up on our site, uh, and there I have some video from uh, the exterior and from the queue of the ride uh, trying to get across to our, our viewers <laughs> some of the, the feeling. But it, um, it, it was really amazing, and that was built by uh, Sally Corp, right, the classic dark right. ride uh, developer. Who, quite honestly, in my opinion, at least to my knowledge, I, I don't think they've built anything like that since, uh, uh, even you know, in that level. And, and that was your favorite ride as well, right? Yeah, yeah, it it really was because, I mean, first of all, like everything we did, the budget was ridiculously small. You know, it's, it, you imagine sitting in the first meeting with Sally, and they're like, you know, well, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And we're like, well, um. You got anything in the back of your catalog that we could afford? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no. You, I mean, everyone wants animatronics. We're like, oh, uh, there's one rule about this ride: there'll be no animatronics. And I think Sally tried to change our mind on that about 700 times. And we said, no, there's going to be no animatronics. This is not an animatronic ride. This is, this is literally smoke and mirrors. Was how we described it. We wanted something that was a deeper experience. Um, that the different people would get different things from. This wasn't, you know, alien uh, dark ride. This wasn't a shoot 'em up ride. This was, you got to listen to the words. I mean, this is a very powerful song. That, that whether you heard it before or not, you can follow the story, and the story means different things to different people. And we wanted to capture that. Um, and and you know, I think they said, okay, let us go and work on it. And they came back and. Uh, they worked with John, and you know, they, in the end of the day, they, they did a fantastic job of, of really getting what we asked them to do, which was this this wonderful trip. I mean, it was it was it was just psychedelic, and it you know I, I could do that right again and again. And I'm yeah. frankly surprised no one has done something like that again because I mean it just got such great reviews, people loved it, and it was totally different. 
Yeah, I I completely agree, and it was one of my big I, I was my limitations as I got back and I told the beast I said. You know, this was this awesome ride. This was the greatest. I can't wait for you to experience this and see this because the Beast is a dark ride aficionado, even more so than I am. Uh, he, that that is his favorite type of ride. And I said, this is unlike any that you've ever been on before. And it is hard to explain. I couldn't give him a full, you know, explanation that satisfied me or him. I don't think, but uh, it was a great experience. Probably, I, I mean, I think Beast. I mean, one of the biggest uh, uh regrets that you have is that you uh, didn't get to ride that that ride wouldn't you say yeah well i mean just hearing steven describe it i think you hit on an important point steven which is that for me anyway the the whole appeal of a dark ride is the atmosphere of the dark ride not so much the quote-unquote adventure that you're in as it is the way you feel when you're in those kinds of attractions and so it seems like dark rides today are trying way too hard to make it so interactive uh, to make a lot of adventure a lot of guns a lot of shoot things that it loses the appeal of the fact that you're in this totally immersive atmospheric trip you know and so the whole concept fits so well for a dark ride that i just i hate that i missed it it sounds fantastic yeah i mean you just even just talking about it i get that that chill um that I would get every time I wrote it. And the thing that was, that was its appeal. It, it, you had a, a reaction to it. Um, you know, because there was some just very good timing effects, uh, some great visual effects, but it just all came together in in a complete experience that I think blew people away because they weren't expecting that. So Stephen, what are you uh, what are you up to now? What what are you are you still uh, do you still follow involved in the theme park industry at all? Or um, uh, I, you know I gotta say as I was looking at a few things online, I noticed a reference to a cashmere uh, capital, and I can't believe that that is a coincidence. Uh, surely that has some tie to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I see you've been doing the spy work. Yeah. Uh, we got to know who we're talking to, you know. <laughs> the Capital is, uh, is is my company, and uh, we work in the in the finance uh, private equity world. I'm not involved in any any theme parks. Uh, I feel like I've I've given I gave them a a good chunk of my life and a, a lot of the travel around the world with Universal in Japan and Florida and and Hard Rock Park. That um, I had to go do something, you know, different. But it, it, the name is actually a coincidence um, because I think six months after the park closed and um, I was chilling out and relaxing and wading through the masses of paperwork that, you know, follows something like that. Um, my girlfriend at the time and, and I decided to get a dog and we found one. We drove out to... To, to get it, we wanted a mastiff, big, uh, big, floppy-faced dog full of drool, and there were two, you know, left at this this guy's house, and I, I forget the name of the male, but the female was called Cashmere, and I'm like, that, you, that's just the biggest coincidence in the world. So you know, <laughs> we got the dog, um, and and brought her home, and she's still with us, and just. And, you know, so I kind of looked at it, it, it was fate, so when 
picking a name for the company, I thought yeah, there's a good tie between my favorite song from Led Zeppelin, Cashmere, and the dog Cashmere, and um, that's how it came together. So, yeah, good good bit of detective work there. You know, Stephen, I just want to say as we bring things to a close that theme parks for RexandTheBeast.com and for millions of people are much more than just theme parks. At theme parks, things happen. Lives change. Memories are made. Relationships come together, and they last a lifetime. And even something like a Hard Rock Park that came and went so quickly you know, there's just encouragement, I think, for you and all of your team and all those involved. Who knows? Who knows if Led Zeppelin was the first roller coaster someone rode and that changed their life forever? Who knows what happened on Nights of White Satin where the first kiss was made and now there's a family because of that? <laughs> you just never know the impact that you have had in people's lives even for a short amount of time. I just want to say thank you for that, and, and Rex and the Beast will never forget that. And, and Stephen, I, I can tell you right now, in my office, um, as as Again, fans of Rex and the Beast know I am uh, I am a, a corporate attorney in my uh, alter ego. In my office, up on the wall is a framed portrait of the uh, not a frame a framed uh, version of the uh, Led Zeppelin poster that that you gave cool. out at the uh, sound check with the uh, underneath it the uh, first ride uh, Led Zeppelin with my, uh, my my thing. So I've got it. I've got a big frame of it right on my wall. So it has stayed with me all these years. So well, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. But yeah, you know, um, it, it it was fun. I know the team enjoyed it. I know they've all gone off to do theme parks all over the world since then, and you know they continue to have fun. And I still, you know, I still hear from people that visited the park and just loved it and are disappointed it's not around. And, you know, I, we're all disappointed. Um, but that was a pretty, pretty unique time as uh, I think we all, with hindsight, understand, you know, 2008, 2009 was pretty, pretty horrendous. Yeah, true. Well, we certainly uh, certainly appreciate you uh, you taking the time to to give us uh, some of your insights and uh, thoughts on the history of, uh, of of the Hard Rock Park, and uh, this has been a just a great uh, uh, a great uh, audio journeys and uh, been a great guest, and so we really appreciate it, Stephen. Uh, our, our fans and our listeners are going to really enjoy this podcast. I am confident of that. Well, I, I appreciate you guys reaching out, and uh, you know. Um Keep rocking and keep rolling. All right, everybody. That's Stephen Goodwin, who's been an amazing guest. Thank you so much again, Stephen, for being with us today. And best of luck to you in all of your future endeavors. Well, that is it for us. This is The Beast right here, and we appreciate you listening. And we're going to say be strong and courageous. RexandTheBeast.com. Join the journey. 